Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Jesus didn't come to earth and have his best life now. He left the best thing and came down here to deal with us for 33 years. Look how we did him. Talked bad about his mama, said she had him out of wedlock, you know, beat him, prisoned him, unlawfully took him to court. I mean, all these things and ultimately crucified him on a cross. He ain't have his best life now. Why would we think that following his steps, we would have ours either? He even told the disciples, hey guys, if you follow me, those that hate me are going to hate you. Get ready. Right? You're going to have some enemies. My enemy going to become your enemies. But we got the victory. Oftentimes, people tend to think that when you become a follower of Jesus, your life will be better. Pastor Bill emphasizes in today's message that though a life with Christ is much richer, it doesn't promise a life free of hardships. Even Jesus didn't have an easy life. His conception was mocked, and then he was misunderstood, beaten, and murdered. But in his death, you and I have the greatest victory, life with the Father. So though your painful moments may seem to be too much to bear, it isn't lasting. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Verse 27, it says, For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. And so here we're just reminded of the, the submission of the Son to the Father. Is the Son less than the Father? Anybody? No, they're equal. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I, I want to point that out for a reason, though. They're equal, but there is submission because there's purpose. God the Father has his purpose. God the Son understood his purpose. In Philippians, he said he willingly, he laid down authority. He laid down rights in order to fulfill his divine purpose, right? Some of us have problems with submission in order to fulfill God's purpose, and I would just remind you, in whatever relationships you're in that God calls you to submission, right? Jesus is your example. If he could submit, you could submit. He submitted that the Father would be glorified, that all things would be right, that the order would be correct. So should you. There are relationships that I have that I'm to be submissive. I'm to be in submission to. And I need to do that as Christ has given me an example. I, Christ didn't submit because he was less important, less significant, or less powerful he submitted because it was necessary for God to be glorified the best. And so some of you, whatever those relationships might be, it could be a child to a parent, a wife to a husband, a husband to the Lord or whoever. Whatever relationship God has put you in where you to be in submission. Don't be out here being rebellious. Rebellion is like the devil. Don't forget that. Satan is the one that rebels. When Saul rebelled against God and he didn't do what God said, do God had told him to go and utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but he kept back some and he brought them back and he lied to Samuel and said he did do it, but he didn't do it. Samuel said to him, it was a word of the Lord. He says, God does not have this enjoyment in your sacrifices that he would have rather had your obedience. And he says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You're rebelling against God, just like witchcraft, that you just wouldn't submit and do what God said do. So we want to look at the example of the Trinity Right. Everybody had their role. You know, you know, the one person in the Trinity that doesn't get any glory. Anybody know? Holy Spirit. That's not what he's for. Holy Spirit's always pointing to Jesus. Jesus is always 
directing us to the, connecting us to the Father. Everyone is doing their role. Nobody's bummed out. The Holy Spirit's like, man, I'm getting those juice, man. Nobody, nobody ever talks about me. You know, that's not, you know, Holy Spirit's not kicking rocks. He's fulfilling his purpose. I'm helping you come to him so you can get connected to him. They're all doing their job so that we can be saved. We can know God. We can go to heaven. We can be met by God. We can have an intimate personal relationship. So submission is a beautiful thing when we all do our parts. And so I speak to marriages, husbands, you need to be submitted to the Lord in your marriage. Our wives need to be submitted to your husbands in your marriage. Children need to be submitted to your parents in the home because that is God's order. And that is what God will bless. And if your household is jacked up, family's not going right, people can point and blame all over the place. But I've never seen a household that was jacked up where everybody was submitted to the Lord properly. And so in my marriage... I can't be in control of my wife and rather she submits or not, you know, so I got to be in charge of me. I got to make sure I'm submitted to the Lord. That's what I can do. And I would encourage everybody here in your household and your family and whatever, whatever you're over, find yourself in submission. Find yourself in this place where blessable and it glorifies the Lord. So the Trinity is, is a great example here. They're all submitted in their places so that we can be helped. Verse 29. Otherwise, what will now... This is a really controversial verse, and I want to just say this, and, and I'll just read it now. I'll, I'll explain a couple different viewpoints on it. So it says, otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? So what is baptism for the dead? There are groups that baptize for the dead. So the Mormons are big on this, and so they, they follow their genealogies real close, and you know, great, great uncle Sam and Sue wasn't saved or didn't, you know, get committed, you know, then we'll be baptized in their place. You know, there's an idea that, that in that they would be saved. Now, here go two alternate uh, thoughts. I'll give you my opinion on it. You read 10 commentaries, you get 10 different views on this. So I don't know that I'm settling it, but I prayed over it and I'm gonna give you what I got. So one view, and I don't necessarily hold this view, but it, it says that, well, what Paul had in mind here was baptism. And so in baptism, it's a picture of death, burial, and resurrection. So he's really saying that, why do we get baptized? And, and I don't think linguistically that doesn't really work. It doesn't, it just, that sounds like kind of, I'm trying to make this work. The other thought is, and this one makes more sense. Uh, one, if you look in the manners and customs, there was a belief back then. And there was an Epicurean doctrine and belief where non-believers also practice baptism and they would be baptized for they're dead. And as Paul is coming in correcting, right, you guys are Christian, but you guys aren't believing in the resurrection. It fits the context to me because in just a minute, he's going to tell them, why are you listening to other people? How bad company corrupts good character that the Corinthian Christians were being affected by this false teaching, by the kind of the thoughts of people in their culture. And when he says, listen to the wording, right? Uh, look at, he says they twice in verse 29, right? What will they who are baptized for the dead, do who are baptized for the dead, if the dead are not raised at all, why then are they? So notice that Paul is calling them they, and then notice what he says in verse 31. And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? And so I get a distinction here where Paul is saying, we, speaking of the believers, we're in jeopardy every hour. We're living, we're putting our life on the lines for the gospel. Why would we do that if it's not true? But then as he speaks about the baptism of the dead, he says they. They, this is what other people are doing. So I believe that he's speaking of another group. He's not affirming that doctrine. He's not saying it's the right thing. He says, hey, why do they do that? Even they believe in, right? Even these, even they believe in a resurrection. Why would they do that if they didn't? And he says, then us believers, why are we, 
Why are we living on the edge? Why are we why are we living our lives in jeopardy day by day? Verse 31. I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus for our Lord. I die daily. Paul said, look, I die every day. And Paul could say this. Paul lived this life so on the edge. There was a group of men in Acts. I think it's in verse 20, chapter 27. But there was a group of people that after Paul came into their city and preached, it was a whole group of men that said, we will not eat until we kill that man. Paul didn't go anywhere and not have an effect. He either went and preached and people got saved. Or he went and preached and they started riots. They wanted to kill him. He was ruining their, you know, the, the sale of their idols and everything else. Paul, everywhere Paul went, there was an effect that he had on the people. But Paul said, I live in jeopardy every day. My own countrymen, my own people want to kill me. I go preach over there. Now they want me dead. And I go out in this city. They stone me to death. I get back up. I go back over there. These people put me in prison. They lied on me. They beat me. I'm in jail over here writing to encourage them. His whole life, Paul said, why would I do that if there was no resurrection? Right. And remember, Paul had an encounter with the resurrected Christ personally. So why would he live so radically for God? Paul saying my own life testifies to the validity and the reality of this doctrine, because if Christ didn't rise from the dead, and if I wasn't going to rise from the dead, I wouldn't be out here risking my life. Look what he says next. Verse 32. If in the manner of men I have fought with beast at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Paul talks about a time where in Ephesus where he fought with beasts. And we do know in Ephesus they had the arenas where they would put Christians in the arenas and let them be eaten. Some people think Paul is, you know, kind of talking of the men that have come against him. I tend to think it just says beasts. I think Paul may have actually been thrown into an arena and fought with beasts and survived. That Paul said, why would I go through that mess? I mean, why would I go through that kind of persecution? If Christ wasn't coming back, if we weren't going to rise, he said, man, we should just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. He said, if this wasn't true, I would just say, everybody go home, go eat a good meal, go have y'all some good drinky drink, and we're going to die tomorrow. We just do have your best life right now. I won't quote him, but, uh, you know, (laughs) there's a whole mentality. You know, some people feel like we're supposed to have our best life right now. Y'all know that's not true. Oh, that's not Bible. That's not Bible. It's in bookstores, but it's not Bible. Our best is to come. I can't really find anybody in scripture that really went hard for the Lord that had their best life down here. Paul is my hero. And I I look at Paul's, he didn't have his best life. Beat, jailed, shipwrecked, whipped, kicked out, ran over, you know, I mean, just lions, everything else. But at the end of Paul's life, Paul said, look, I'm going to heaven. I'm getting ready to get all my rewards. He is enjoying now. Right? He didn't enjoy down here. Jesus didn't come to earth and have his best life now. He left the best thing and came down here to deal with us for 33 years. Look how we did him. Talked bad about his mama, said she had him out of wedlock, you know, beat him, prisoned him, unlawfully took him to court. I mean, all these things and ultimately crucified him on a cross. He ain't have his best life now. Why would we think that following his steps, we would have ours either? He even told his disciples, hey, guys, if you follow me, those that hate me are going to hate you. Get ready. Right. You're going to have some enemies. My enemy going to become your enemies. But we got the victory. And so we come in knowing that, all right, it's to come. So Paul said, look, if it weren't true, if I wasn't looking forward to a resurrection, I would not go through what I'm going through. Right. It wouldn't be worth it. Right. Anybody here that's walking with the Lord, serving God and enduring some hardship, it's only worth it because we know the end result. Romans 8.18, Paul said, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared 
with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It's worth it because of where I'm going. Right? It's not, it's not, it would not be worth it if, if there were no payday. If there were no, if there was not a day of glory. If there was not a day of resurrection. If there was not a day of being in his presence. If there was not an opportunity of spiritual reward, it wouldn't be worth it. We could all cash it in and just go do some other stuff. But it is worth it because there is a resurrection. Jesus did come back. He did rise from the grave and so will we. And so we can look forward to all that's made available in him. Then he says this in verse 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Now, following the context, what evil company would he be talking about? And I believe that he's speaking about the, where did this false doctrine come from, right? How come people who had received the gospel now are not believing a part of the gospel that's critical, the resurrection? Paul says, y'all have been dealing with the culture y'all have been dealing with, maybe some of these Jewish people that don't believe, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, or maybe some of those Epicureans, you guys are allowing the, the world to indoctrinate you with his thinking. So Christians, you need to be careful about fellowshipping with people that don't believe right. If you got people that are believing false doctrines and weird doctrines and weird stuff, you need to be really careful. Some people, well, I'm going to continue to fellowship. It's kind of interesting. I'm going to continue to talk. You need to be careful. Before you know it, you start questioning stuff that wasn't a question. Before you know it, you have questions that I spend time with someone and I end up with more questions and answers. Where I begin to question solid truth. That's bad fellowship. Paul said, look, evil company. That's what he calls it. He doesn't say bad fellowship. Evil company. That's evil company. It corrupts. Corrupts good habits. You had some good practices and habits, but it's being corrupted. What is that word? Corruption It's the same word of something that's dying. But, you know, something's corrupting, it's corroding, it's stinking, it's dying. Bad company will do that to your good habits. It'll, it'll take the, all the good that God has put in you and it'll just start to corrupt it. So we need to be careful about fellowship. As a believer, I can reach out to anybody, I can witness anybody, but I'm going to be careful who I listen to, who I fellowship with. Everybody can't speak into my life. Everybody can't be giving me Bible studies. There are people that I listen to with both antennas up. Here goes a few rules of thumb for you guys. As I'm listening, I listen to a lot of people, right? I don't believe that someone that hasn't taken the time to study the Bible themselves should receive first from someone else. How do you know the difference? Um, someone that don't read the Bible themselves, but only hears from someone else. How can you discern what's what? You don't even know. You haven't even disciplined yourself to be a Bible reader, to go through the Bible, to read it for yourself. So all you got to do is take, you're taking what they say. That puts you at a disadvantage. Most people that end up in cults, Jehovah's Witness, when they come to your door and they knock, 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 and they start telling you Bible, when you sound like you don't know it, they're happy. They're like, yes, because you believe in the Bible, but you don't know the Bible. We'll tell you what it means. Sit in our classes. We'll fix that. But you know what ticks them off? You know what runs them off? When somebody open up their Bible, they see it's marked up and you know it and believe it and can speak it. They're like, no, let's just don't waste our time here. Let's go on to the next people who don't know nothing. They're not looking for you that know. They're looking for those that don't know. They're looking for those that believe it, but don't know it. That's that you become a victim of false doctrine, false teaching. But even within the church, there are false teachings, false beliefs, false doctrines. Here goes again, my rules. If I listen to someone and I hear something erroneous, that's clear. Like, man, that's clear air. Well, I'll never, I'm not going to listen to you. I may listen, but now I'm listening with an antenna up. If I listen to you and I find that it's, a, it's habitual, wrong then you're off my list. I typically, my process is I study for teaching. I study, I, I look up the words, I look up the history, the background, everything else. I do my own study. And then I usually listen to two or three people. And over time, I'll listen to people that, man, they say something that I didn't find. I go, I go look it up, be a Berean, and I find that, wow, this guy 
goes deep, deeper than me. He's beyond me. I'm benefiting from listening to him. I'm going to continue to listen to somebody like that. Joe Folch is one of my guys that I find that I, I just I'm enriched as I, I finish mine. I go listen to him and I always get some nugget, some piece that I didn't quite catch. Um, but I've also listened to people after I studied and found that that's not what that word means. That's not the context. That's not what that's saying. And I'm listening to them take the word of God and do what they want to do with it. You can't speak to me no more. I won't recommend you and I won't listen to you. And if I hear you, I got both my antennas up because I know you will lie on God. You'll take the word and say what you want to say with it. We need to be very discerning in these last days, you guys, because when Paul says here, evil company corrupts good character, he was talking about the evil company of those that have taken you from believing in the resurrection. You guys are not believing the truth anymore because you're hanging out with whoever. Be it Epicureans, be it Jewish Sadducees, whoever it is that you're hanging out with, they're jacking you up doctrinally. You need to break away. Evil company is corrupting your good habits. Last two verses and we're going to close. So verse 33 again, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. And he says this, I speak this to your shame. And he ends up saying, look, he tells them, awake, wake up to righteousness. Do not sin. It's to not believe in the resurrection. Is that a sin, you guys? Yeah, you can't even be saved without believing in the resurrection. Don't sin. Don't lay this down. Don't lay that belief down. Don't go with what you're hearing. And he says, for some do not have a knowledge of God. I mean, some of the people you're listening to don't even know God. Imagine that believers are listening to people, engaging people. You're not telling them. They're telling you. They don't even know God. He says, I say this to your shame. Right. You should be holding the truth and sharing the truth and invading them. They're invading you. And this is why. And we'll close with this. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, we're told, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And he said this in verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, right? Don't let this world form you into its mold. Don't let someone take you and form you into another mold that it is. And don't let, don't be conformed to this world. But he says what? But be transformed by the renewing of your minds. We need to continue to have our minds renewed. How do we have our minds renewed, you guys? Time in the word. Prayer and in the word. God will renew our minds, renew our hope, renew our faith. You can be all bummed out about something and come to the word and God just renew your mind. You, you get focused on the wrong stuff. You come to the word and God will renew your mind and bring you back into a healthy place. I can get confused on some doctrinal stuff, but I come back to the word and have my mind renewed. It's a vital, important part of our ongoing walk and relationship with Jesus that we would be in the word. And so as I look at this letter to the Corinthians and Paul's kind of coming to the end. This is the almost the end of chapter 15. Then we got one last chapter. I think it's really important as he comes to the end of this letter that we really pay attention. Paul's, Paul's talked about a lot of things, but I believe he saved the most important things for the end. He, Paul loves the Corinthians. He cared about them. Uh, he dealt with all the moral issues. You guys got sexual sin and, you know, jacked up at communion, all these other things. But as we come to the end, Paul said, this thing right here will keep you out the kingdom. And I, I want to, Paul's spending a great amount of time explaining, making sure that they understand why the resurrection is so important to the believer. Uh, it's important because it happened. It's important because it will take place for us and it gives us hope and it gives us instruction and direction about what's to come, the future. We're living for something beyond what we can see here and now. And so I pray for every believer here that we would, we would be living with that same kind of hope, knowing that this isn't it, God. This is not it. We have so much to look forward to as those that have been forgiven by Jesus and received by him. Um, we want to know it for ourselves that it would bring us peace and hope, but also we want to be sharing this hope, right? 
the goal of knowing what we know, first, it saves us. But God wants to use us to share with other people. How many people do we know? They don't have this hope, right? How many people do we know that, you know, the thought of death is just it petrifies them because they don't really know. Not really sure. They've, got, they've heard over their lifetime all these different ideas and things they really don't know. We know. And there can be a certainty. And so I, I want to encourage us that, uh, one, we will be clear on our beliefs in these things. And I encourage you to go back and forth, read through 1 Corinthians 15 over and over again and just get, if you're going to be indoctrinated, be indoctrinated by the Bible. Read it freely by yourself. You and the Holy Spirit, spend some time in that chapter. Read it and get it sewn into your heart very well that you would just know these things that would be clear to you. Um, but also, Everybody here that you would check out who you listen to. Um, now, we're not a cult. We're a church. I, I don't tell you guys who to and who not to listen to. I don't I don't do that. But I would say that if you're listening to things that are off doctrinally, if you're unsure, if you don't know for certain yourself, maybe you do want to bring it to a pastor. You want Maybe you do want to run it by me or Pastor Clint and say, hey, you know this guy? What do you know about this person? Because I've met people here that are spending a lot of time listening, watching Christian television. Can I tell you guys that it's sad? It's really sad to say, but a good majority of what's on Christian television, it's not sound. It's not sound. Them dudes are making money. They're not saving souls. They're not feeding sheep. They're making money. And if I wanted to come here and make money, I got a couple of sections of scripture that I could just stick with and I can twist them up real good and we can make money. But I'm not that guy, you know, but there are people that they've committed. They have learned how to squeeze out dimes and dollars from God's people. And they are on TV. Why are they on TV? Because it takes the ministry worldwide. Now I can't just beg you guys through the TV. I can beg people in Africa if I want, you know, um, we just want to be careful. We want to be discerning, we want to be careful. Why do we want to be discerning and careful? Is this an important message? It's so important. And I don't want it messed up. I don't want it messed up in my head. When it comes to me messed up, I'll mess around and share it messed up. I need to know it. Last thing I would encourage you guys as how did these Corinthians go from believing soundly to being off? They were taking in wrong teaching without taking in right stuff. I'll say this a hundred more times to us in this body, but why do I encourage you guys to read the Bible for yourself? Um, there's nothing that will ever take the place of you sitting down with your Bible open and the Holy Spirit illuminating the word of God to you. Nothing, 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 nothing. I'll never replace that. I don't want to replace that. That's the most meaningful. Those will be the most meaningful moments in the word of God that you have when you sit down with your Bible open and you pray and God speaks to you from the pages of scripture because this book is living and powerful. It will change your life. The power to save a soul, the power to it's, it's a living word of God. You're interacting with the living God when you read this book. And so when I'm pressing people, read it, read it, read it. It's because I want you to experience God that way. I'm not afraid of what will happen if you go spend time in your Bible by yourself. I believe God will meet you there. God says, those who seek me will find me. And I believe you sit down in your room in a corner somewhere with your Bible open wanting the truth. I believe that, that your heavenly father will meet you and reveal truth to you and speak to you like nobody else can. And so I continue to encourage you guys, if you don't read regularly, um, that even this week, that maybe you don't need to recommit your life to the Lord. Maybe God has your life, but maybe you need to recommit yourself to just daily, the daily practice and habit and discipline of reading and praying. That's why we do the Bible challenge. We put that out to help people develop the discipline that most Christians don't have. We're probably the only religion. We're not really religion, but if you classify us, 
that haven't most people that believe it have never read their own book. You will not found a devout Jew that haven't read. They memorized their little books. Most false beliefs, they're disciplined about knowing their stuff. And then Christians, we're real casual about it, you know? Well, you know, I'm just gonna take some time and say 20 years, enough of that. Read this book. First Corinthians touches on how the city of Corinth was rampant with idolatry and immorality, not too different from cities of today. Does this mean that you run away and isolate yourself from the sinful world? No, but Paul's letter did communicate that as a Christian, it's important to live a life that's upright and pure before God, even in the midst of a dark and sinful world. When the pressure is great, your opportunity to contrast the dark with light can be even greater. How does one do this with all the influences pressing in? Keep looking to the Word of God for direction in all things. If you're seeking some assistance with where to read, we have a helpful Bible reading plan on our website. This can be a useful guide to help you explore the Word on a daily basis. Look on our website, CalvaryInglewood.org. Thank you for tuning in today to A Transforming Word. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through 1 Corinthians. Before we go, we'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider supporting this ministry financially. Any amount is appreciated. These teachings are broadcast on the radio and help spread the good news of the gospel. That's a powerful thing. If you'd like to find out more about how to support A Transforming Word, go to CalvaryInglewood.org or donate through our app. We're so thankful for your support and more than anything, we hope this ministry has been and continues to be a blessing to you. We look forward to joining Pastor Bill again next time right here on A Transforming Word. Transforming Word